And when He takes us to that place of grace, that place of learning, that place of dealing with the hard questions, and He perseveres and endures in our lives, what do we say in return? Despite all of the pain, all of the heartache, we look heavenwards and we say, we've been blessed. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. This morning, our scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 32. So if you have your Bible, could you turn with me, please, to Genesis 32, beginning at verse 22. And you'll find it on page 53 of the church Bible. Genesis 32, beginning at verse 22. In order for this passage to make sense immediately upon reading, let me give you 30 seconds worth of what has happened up to this point. Twenty years previously, Jacob had left his family home. When he left his family home, he had by that stage deceived his father. He'd stolen from his brother. He sought to manipulate and orchestrate every circumstance around him to his own ends. And family relationships had become so bad that his brother Esau looked at Jacob and the last thing he said to him was this, Jacob, the next time you and I meet, I will kill you. So things were pretty grim for Jacob 20 years before. His mother had enough sense to send him away, and now 20 years later, he's returning. And he's hoping to meet Esau for the first time, and to say the least, he's a little concerned. Earlier in the chapter, he prays with great intensity that God would protect him from Esau. So that gives you the background to what we're about to read. And so verse 22, we read these words. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions so Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Over the next 10 or 12 weeks, we'll be looking at a series of studies entitled Contagious Church, and we'll be asking ourselves 
what does it look like to be a church where people are excited to gather on a Sunday morning, where people are engaging with each other of different ages and stages, where genuine fellowship takes place, where prayer is a priority? What does it mean to be a contagious church? But this morning, for this opening study, this study that will be foundational to everything else, for several weeks I was asking myself, what do we focus on that first morning? What is the number one priority in the life of the congregation and leadership at first prayers? And over subsequent weeks, as I prayed and spent time in the Scriptures and wrestled with a multiplicity of issues involved, I turned to Genesis chapter 32, because what I discovered fairly quickly was this, that any congregation, whatever their denomination, whatever their geographical locality, will always have intrinsically foundational foundation to who they are is this, engagement with the living God. That's the first thing. That's our number one priority, and it's the same for any contagious church. Now, when you gather on Sunday morning, our first priority will be to engage with the living God, and that's why I turned to Genesis 32. What constitutes a contagious church contagious church is a place of grace, a place of grace. It's also a place of learning. Sometimes it's a place where we are asked the hard questions, deal with the tough issues. Fourthly, it's a place of endurance, to grow and learn in your faith and keep going despite all that lies before you. Those principles are found in this passage this morning. We last looked at this passage back in 2011, so it's been a few years, but I did want to come back to it because of the principles it contains. Now, come back with me, please, all those years, and stand in the middle of the night at the side of the Jabbok River, and put yourself in Jacob's position. Twenty years since he last met Esau. Earlier that day, he sent livestock and servants towards Esau. Esau, Esau was coming in his direction with 400 horsemen. Jacob was a little concerned. I imagine when he settled down under the stars that night, it would take him a while to doze off. And he'd be tossing and turning and pulling up the duvet, thinking, what on earth is tomorrow going to be like? And then, out of the darkness, suddenly, just like that, without warning, a man was wrestling with him on the ground. Now, I've never been attacked in that violent sense of physical attack, and I can't imagine how just utterly frightening that must be when violence takes place and you are receiving it. What on earth is going on? And as Jacob was there in the fullness of the night, wrestling with this man on the floor, he's thinking to himself, what on earth is going on? 
Is it Esau? Esau, it's me, Jacob. Stop this. It's me, Jacob. I haven't come to hurt you. You can imagine that taking place. And the man says nothing, just keeps wrestling, continuing to try to pin him down. Jacob is thinking, well, maybe not Esau. Maybe it's one of his hired hands. And maybe he's saying to the man, you don't understand. It's, it's okay. I want to make up with, with Esau. I want the relationship to be good. Nothing. Just continuing to wrestle. And the paradox of these early verses in this section tell us this, that Esau with great intensity and passion, had prayed to God, or excuse me, Jacob had prayed to God for protection from Esau. But what Jacob needed most was protection from God. What Jacob needed most was protection from the living God because it was God who was wrestling with Jacob. It was God who had taken the initiative. It was God who was the aggressor. God was behind the whole thing, not Esau as Jacob, I suspect, initially thought. And what was God doing? In those early moments, I don't for a second imagine that Jacob thought, my, oh my, God has come to bless me. Father, thank you. I don't think that entered his mind. He was fearful and concerned. And how is this going to end? And there was silence. God said nothing. Have you ever found yourself in a similar position where you really are up against it? And the challenges that are coming your way are threatening to overwhelm you, and you do not know where to turn next. You're grieving. You're hurting. Why on earth would God ever allow this into my life? Why would He do such a thing when I need His protection and His comfort and His care, and He's allowed this into my life? Jacob was about to discover that despite what he was facing, God had taken him to a place of grace. And it was a place of grace for this reason. When you find yourself in circumstances that are beyond your resources to deal with, you cannot begin to get your head around it, and you're fearful and uncertain and confused as to what's going on, and God is silent and saying nothing. Your prayer is often, Father, show me what's happening. Explain it to me. Just tell me. I'll understand. I'll get it. It will be so much easier if you would just explain what on earth is going on. Please. And nothing. And please understand this, that if the first principle was that God was at work, coming out of that principle is this truth, that when God is silent, we should never, ever, ever mistake God's denial for what? For God's lack of interest. 
Never. God's silence is all too often a pregnant pause because he's at work. And what he's doing when he is silent is this. He is getting your attention, and he's causing you to fully engage with him as he truly is, as he truly is. And in so doing, in those quiet moments, he's also forcing you to look inside, to go deeper, to ask the tough questions. That's why it's a place of grace. God is at work bringing silence and causing you to pause and reassess. And when he takes us to that quiet place, he is saying to us, what is our relationship really like? Are you living in a Christ-like manner? Are you following Him each day? And we begin to ask, Father, are there areas in my life that I need to change? Is there a besetting sin that I cannot seem to get over? Father, help me deal with this. And He's forcing us into a corner till He takes us to that place when our back is up against the wall, and we eventually, recognizing what's happened, begin to say, Father, help me deal with this sin in my life. Help me be rid of it. Give me a new heart passion for you. Stir me up. Enlarge my heart. Impact my mind. Take me to that place of learning so I can grow. That's why it's a place of grace. That's why any contagious church in any setting, fundamentally, intrinsically, will always, always, always focus on engagement with the living God. And Jacob, as the hours passed in to those early hours of the morning and through to four and five and six in the morning, he was beginning to understand. He was beginning to get it. And he moved from the place of grace where God was very much at work to that place of learning. Jacob learned this. Whenever you're wrestling with someone, it's the hips that matter. That's where the suppleness is. That's where the power comes from. And as Jacob is wrestling on the ground and on his knees and crouching and standing up, Jacob understands what takes place in wrestling, because when you're wrestling with an individual, and some of you wrestled while you were at school, others of us have watched it on sports television from time to time, what is going on? One individual is seeking to do what? To bend the other to do their bidding. That's what's going on. And Jacob, all through his adult life, sought to bend others to do his bidding. In his early life was his father and mother, his brother Esau. And we saw it several times over the last 20 years. You can read it in the earlier passages in Genesis. And understand this, that that night something in Jacob changed forever. 
Psalm 102 has those wonderful words, verse 23, in the course of my life you broke my strength. In the course of my life you broke my strength. And now God Himself was wrestling with Jacob, and He could have incinerated Jacob in a heartbeat, but He doesn't. He simply touches His hip as a mark of grace. And Jacob, who up to that point had wanted to escape, had wanted freedom, who wanted to run away, was now face to face with the living God, and his mind and heart and soul had changed and been transformed radically. And we know that for this reason. When God says, it is daybreak, let me go, and Jacob says, I will not let you go, all night long he had longed for that. He'd longed to be free and escape, and now he embraces that which brought him so much pain and discomfort, because he understood it was a place of grace and a place of learning. And God says to Jacob, what is your name And in the Scriptures, a name is so often reflective of the individual's character. What is your name? Why does he ask, what is your name? Did he come to earth with an arrest warrant that said, to whom it may concern? No. He knew it was Jacob. But please remember this. Twenty years previously, the last time recorded in Scripture when Jacob was asked, what is your name? He was asked by Isaac, his father. And Jacob, on that occasion, answered, Esau. And he'd sought to manipulate his father and steal from his brother. And the name Jacob, as you know, means deceiver and swindler, and cheat. And when God says to him, what is your name? And he cries out, Jacob! He was crying out, deceiver, cheat, manipulator. And there is no blessing from God without confession. Confession always comes before blessing. And God required from Jacob confession for his sin for the things he had done wrong, for those he had hurt. And then comes the blessing. And he moves from a place of grace to a place of learning through to deal with some hard issues. And the same principle applies to us. And I suspect it took a night for Jacob to finally confess, I am Jacob, swindler, cheat, fraudster, manipulator. All night it took. Because understand this, and this is the third principle I want you to take away this morning. A contagious church is a difficult place to be sometimes 
because those hard, tough questions will be asked, and God will continue to persist and continue to go deeper and drill down into our lives, and He will always, always, always be interested in reaching in and taking out from within Jacob and then replace it with Israel. God's chosen, God's beloved, and that's what He does with us. He forces us to that place of radical surgery. And I think we know ourselves well enough to say this. We do not like radical surgery. We'd rather deal with that which is on the surface, the cosmetic, the everyday. But when God forces you into such a position and delves deep into your life and takes away that love of sin and self and replaces it with His love and grace and redemption and forgiveness and mercy and transformation, that's what it means to be in a place of grace. That's what it means to ask the tough questions and face up to the people we are, and to have that overwhelming, wonderful, sweet, comforting presence of the hand of God and the Spirit of God at work within us, then we know we're participating in a contagious church. And if it's a place of grace, a place of learning, and a place where we ask and deal with the hard questions is also a place of perseverance and endurance. In these closing moments this morning, allow me to ask you to use your imagination and imagine that you know Jacob, not terribly well, but you know him a little, Sunday morning, you sometimes see him sitting in the pew in front of him. You know his wife and his children a little. You say hi from time to time. And if Jacob was a member here and came to worship this morning, and he came in right now towards the end of the service, and he came in that back door and made his way down to the front, our eyes would be upon him. One look would tell us so much. His hair is all over the place. His face is swollen, bruised, bleeding. His clothes are torn and ripped. He's filthy. He's limping because God had touched him on the hip, and his power and strength is no more. And not only did God take away His power and His strength, He took away His self-reliance and His self-confidence and His planning and His scheming, and He made Him what? Into the man of God He was about to become. And God persevered with Jacob as He perseveres with us. And when He takes us to that place of grace, that place of learning, that place of dealing with the hard questions, and He perseveres and endures in our lives. What do we say in return? Despite all of the pain, all of the heartache, we look heavenwards and we say, we've been 
blessed. God's default position towards His children is one of consistent devotion and love and grace. And His entire plan for our lives is that we would become Christ-like. And He does it by taking us to a place of grace and learning and hardship and perseverance and endurance. And thanks be to God that He does. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this remarkable passage of Scripture this morning. Thank You that once again it clearly speaks into our lives. Father, You know us better than we know ourselves. You know that in recent weeks and months some of us have been dealing with grief and bereavement, and it has been so painful. May we please, in the days and weeks and months to come, feel the comfort of Your presence. Others of us have been disappointed at losing a job. Others were seeking a new house that fell through at the last minute. And Father, we often, often seek to find You in the midst of all of this. And our prayer this morning and for the remainder of the week to come is this. May we, as Your children, engage with You, the living God. Take us, please, Father, to that place of grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, my name is Richard Gibbons. I'm one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian. If you are wondering what First Presbyterian Church is like, one of the things you will discover is that each time you come, you will receive a very warm welcome. I have the pleasure of assisting with a number of ministries here at this church. I teach five new member classes a year. also help to lead mission trips to the Dominican Republic. And uh, we at this church do a number of things that impact our community. It's a wonderful place to serve. It's a wonderful place to belong. My main responsibilities include family ministries, which is marriage, men's ministry, and young adults. I also have the joy of serving the night worship service. My passion here at the church is to point others to the love and grace found in Jesus Christ. My particular job is in education. Uh, whether it's adult education or youth or children, I have something to do with it uh, and would love to talk with you at any time about the things that you can learn from the Bible in our education courses here at First Presbyterian Church. Congregational care covers a lot of ground in a, a church like ours. Essentially, we believe that uh, the mission of the church is to care for one another uh, as well as to outreach in the community. So our desire is to provide for the spiritual, emotional, and physical care of the members of our congregation and extend that also to the needs of our community. I'm Tina Jones. I'm the director of the children's ministry here at First Presbyterian. Scripture says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. We have a very vibrant children's ministry. When you come on a Sunday morning, your children have not just childcare, we also offer ministry. 
One of the amazing things about First Presbyterian is our location. We're situated at the heart of Greenville, a growing and vibrant city. Everything from children's ministry and youth ministry to a prayer ministry and being very active in the community gives us an opportunity to spread and share the love of Christ. If you are looking for a Sunday morning experience that is engaging, vibrant and life transforming, please come and join us.